Hello everybody, welcome to another Five Car Garage podcast with me, Joe Berry. I really hope everyone's well. Uh, we're still on lockdown here and uh, all across the world. And of course, that is causing people a lot of distress and drama. And I just hope that everyone's doing well. Um, and I'm hoping to take the edge off with another podcast. My guest today is the really awesome Will Buxton. He's a fantastic motorsport journalist, uh, most recently and most famously with uh, Formula One. He's written a really fantastic book called My Greatest Defeat, which I absorbed in a matter of minutes. Uh, It was really that good. He and I get into talking about that book a little bit later on in the podcast, and um, it's it's really wonderful to hear him talk about his experiences meeting all those amazing motorsport legends and uh, extrapolating from them some really fascinating stories. So that's great, and, and I really do recommend that if you haven't already, find that book, My Greatest Defeat by Will Buxton, and uh, give it a read. Will and I talk for about an hour and 20 minutes uh, about all things motorsport and, of course, about his five-car garage picks. He's got some really good picks, and I think he uh, it speaks to the man he is because he's done exactly what I would do in his situation, and he's picked a car for each individual scenario. He's got a really eclectic but fantastically well-thought-out five-car garage uh, that allows him to uh, go off and do anything in any kind of car uh, should he need to. I'll be back at the end to uh, say my thanks, but for now, enjoy the podcast. Will Buxton, thank you very much for joining me. How are you doing today? Um, I'm very good. Sorry not to be joining you physically. Um, such are current times. But thanks for inviting me on. It's, uh, it's, it's great to be here. Mate, not at all. It's, uh, it's a privilege. I think that uh, it's, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because, um, you know, with someone like yourself, we're also used to seeing you through a screen or hearing your voice coming in over the radio or whatever. So, uh, so this doesn't seem weird to me. But yeah, I'd rather be uh, I'd much rather <laughs> be sort of sinking a pint with you or, uh, or, you know, chatting in person. But no, thank you very much for... Uh, for uh, for being here so um i'd like to start by asking you how hard was it to come up with your five car garage oh man so hard everybody would, <laughs> i think naturally assume that because i've spent my entire professional life and actually all my life really um you know loving motor racing um and yeah. my professional life being involved with motor racing that i'd be a real car guy you know i'd be i'd yeah. be uh, somebody that just 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 loves my road cars and and maybe because i've spent the majority of the last 20 years traveling and not very much time at home i haven't had a huge selection of brilliant sports cars to my name that i can proudly tell people look at these wonderful cars that i've owned <laughs> and and this is a you know the the, the great list of cars that yeah uh, that, that that i have or that i would love to have um it's a really weird thing i've i've been really lucky in that i've had a couple of cars lent to me over the years by mm. an f1 team that wanted to promote this car or that car or whatever we were doing so i've got to drive a couple of them but in terms of dream cars a dream garage i've never been asked yeah. that before and it's not it's something a- that naturally sits at the back of my mind of those are my those are my five there is a one singular um so then to go through and actually think it through it was pretty difficult actually um and i've gone i've gone sort of 
I don't know, maybe because I'm knocking on 40 and I'm a dad and what I've kind of, I've gone through different <laughs> modes of thinking. Like, do I need to be yeah. sensible here or what uh-huh. do I need to do? So it's been, it's been really fun actually. I've, I've loved it. Oh, that's, that's good. Well, it's, it's an interesting one because it's, it really is a question I think that is all th- means all things to all men. Some, some people go, um, you know, completely to the, to the, sort of most exotic you know five cars possible other people go incredibly practical mine's mine's pretty practical i think uh, i think i said to you it's earlier it's it's mostly old peugeot's mine so like <laughs> you know like very sort of boxy and, and whatever but um but no it's uh, it's one of those questions that is quite tricky and what's interesting about that given your career which um you know for for anyone who doesn't know is is as a you know, a, a, the well, currently the the digital commentator, right for for the F one group. Is that is that the correct title for? for yeah, I'm a I'm a digital presenter, whatever digital that means. Presenter. I think I, I think yeah. I exist only in holographic form these days. <laughs> but but what's interesting about that is that um, you know often you find the, that same dichotomy with race car drivers, right? That they're so focused on on what they're racing and and you know what they're what they're um, living and breathing through their careers that often they don't have an awful lot of time for road cars. And it's interesting no, to share that same. Yano Trulli, um, you know, always drove a Fiat 500 and Takuma Sato had a Mini Cooper fantastic. because, fantastic. And saying, well, you know, I drive the fastest cars in the world. So why do I need <laughs> something that isn't going to be quite that fast on the roads? So they, right. they drove something fun. But then you've got the complete flip side of that, which is Lewis Hamilton, who has a, a garage to die for. Um, True. You know. <laughs> True. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. And I suppose, like, from from you know what exposure I've had to to racing drivers over the year, they've always always just bemoaned understeer in in almost any road car. Right? There's just <laughs> never enough. Almost, you know, always a complete lack of grip yes. in there. Yes, I that's that's why they ended up in that yes. post. Not nothing. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, well, let me ask you, what was your first memory of cars growing up? Um, so this is this is this is crazy. My my mum recently moved uh, houses um, to a, a new house after after the death of my of my father. So we were going through a lot of old family things, and um, one of the things we found was a um, something I'd, I'd drawn when I must have been about I think I was about four years old, um, and we'd been to the Prescott Hill climb, and it oh, yeah. was the first time that I remember cars hitting me kind of emotionally and physically because I, I fell over a, a tent peg, you know, one of those, you know, old <laughs> massive tent pegs that had yeah. the edges all burred over and, you know, that yeah, held yeah. a big, a big tent, like a, almost like a big top, you know, thing. And, um, and I fell over one of those and it's gashed my shin and I still have the scar in my shin. So I, I literally, from the first day that motor racing was a part of my life, it physically got under my skin. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and that's, that's my first memory of, of, of cars really being something and wow. sort of affecting me, you know, emotion. I just remember the smell and the noise and, yeah. and just being in awe of, of these incredibly fast things and the people controlling them. And uh, so, you know, it, it wasn't just about cars for me. It was always about competition and speed. And um, that's where my love affair with, with cars began was with racing. 
Wow. I mean, and that's, you know, that's evident in what you do now, which is, um, you know, which is a testament to, to quite how much of a hold it must have had over you <laughs> yeah. even yeah. then, right? Yeah, 30, 30, 35 years and counting. So um, it's, yeah, I, 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 I love it. And, and, you know, we get to turn our, our passion into our job, which is insane and incredibly fortunate. Um, but yeah, I love it. And, and there hasn't been a single day that hasn't been utterly joyous. Um, well, that's a that's a bit of an exaggeration. There are there have been <laughs> difficult, you know, difficult days, such as the nature yeah. of, of motorsport. But um, yeah. for the most part, it's been it's been an incredible twenty odd years. Fantastic, and I mean, it's fantastic. It's it's cars are a brilliant um, vehicle, literally and sort of <laughs> metaphysically, in terms of. Um, and, you know, as a hobby and a passion, and, and for those of us who are lucky enough, to, uh, lucky enough to call it uh, our careers, because I don't know of another, another, um, you know, uh, hobby that you can turn into a career where you just get such exposure to, to to your subject matter every, you know, literally every day. Every time you go out on the street, there's there's a car, and if yeah. you're if you're that way inclined, you know, if you are someone who can nerd out over road cars then then you know every every walk to the to the shops is uh you know can be fascinating and totally and and but it seems odd doesn't it that we every what everybody tells us um that we are supposedly at a generational sort of t-junction we're we're at a at a crossroads of you know will the next generation want Mm. to even pass their driving test will they want to get into cars will that same desire that same allure that that we've had through our lives will that still exist into the future and what will the car of the future be will it be autonomous um or semi-autonomous will that Mm. desire that need that blood pumping joy that we get from driving will that still exist in 10 15 years time it's a it's a very it's a very strange time, but I'm, you know, it's, it, it happens every couple of generations, I suppose. And I, you know, and I guess this question was probably asked a, a couple of generations back as well. Um, and there is, yeah, you I know, think we, so. who knows what the answer will be, but it's a fascinating time to wonder That's whether right. our kids will look at cars in the same way that, that we do. Yeah, I think, and I think there'll always be, I think there will be a generation on generation change and they're probably pretty much always has been with cars but i feel like not in our lifetime i don't think that we're going to get to a point where cars are fully autonomous you know i i feel like back in the you know whenever it would have been that you know i imagine it was mercedes who probably pioneered uh, cruise control and put it in an s class and i imagine at that point everyone went oh my god what's gonna are we gonna be you know um grasping steering wheels in 30 years time well we are and, and, and <laughs> that's that, a good you know, point I, I don't know if uh, it's it's a, it's a really interesting question and uh, but and i don't know obviously i don't know the answer but for my money i i i think that change will will come and everything which you know everything which points towards convenience will i'm sure be adopted by the masses but i still think that there will um there will be that sort of primary uh urge for 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 the vast majority of us to to be in control and to and whether that's you know in terms of road driving or or you know choosing to go out and race i'm i'm sure that won't diminish and i suppose what's interesting and what i can ask you about that actually with with our current situation is um you know how has response been to to the emergence of um the you know esports and e-racing during this time where you know where we're uh, we're all um homebound because of the virus what's what's been the result and result in um you know uptake of, of esports it's it's mad isn't it it's it's absolutely yeah. brilliant I, th- I think 
this is one of, if not the only, major sport that can be played in a virtual realm. Um, yeah. You know, you, you, you can't imagine Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi <laughs> sitting on their couch at home uh, playing FIFA. Playing FIFA, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that exists somewhere, but but they're not going through the same actions that they would on a football pitch. Right, right. Using a controller. Whereas you have folks at home, um, professional uh, esports racers, you have professional racing drivers from the real world competing against one another and they are essentially driving now okay the danger element isn't there so the risk versus reward factor doesn't exist but in terms of what they're doing in terms of the need to have an essential skill set of you know being able to drive a car um, around a track at speed they're still doing it and it's 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 fascinating to watch um and to see how much it's being picked up globally but also how many different styles how many different types of racing are being picked up and are 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 being shown around the world you know you can go to any circuit in any car in history and set up a race and it's great. I, I honestly, I, I know, you know, a lot of people look at it and go, oh, it's not a real sport. But, you know, a lot of people say that about motor racing. Anybody, I think if it's providing entertainment at the moment, brilliant, because heaven knows we could all do with a little bit of light relief right now. You know, a bit of lighthearted sporting entertainment. And in a world where you can't go out and have a game of soccer, you can't go out and, you know, have a game of hockey or football or whatever it might be. If motor racing can fill that void and still be bringing people some sporting entertainment, it's great. I think it's absolutely wonderful. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And uh, and I think for my you know uh, for my take on it, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how um, the you know the motor racing world properly reacts now to esports because I feel like it's been on the fringes for a little while and I know you know the vast majority of, of certainly the, the F1 teams now I believe have you know official esports drivers but well, yeah but uh, I mean you look at look at the turnaround um a couple of years ago Ferrari saying we will never enter well, I don't know if they ever said they will never enter esports but they weren't interested in it right you know, and they were very, it was very noticeable that they when um Formula One first had its esports draft and its first yeah. esports championship Ferrari weren't a part of it uh, and and in in two years, they've shifted to the point where last weekend, um, or I don't know when this is going out, but um, uh, mm. it was the second virtual um, officially sanctioned F1 esports race yes. of, of 2020. Charlotte Clark won in a Ferrari. Mm. And you're like, you know, this is, this is crazy <laughs> to see how quickly that's changed. Um, and it's wonderful. It's really, really wonderful. But I, I also like seeing when the virtual goes into the real world. Um, so at Race of Champions every year, you have um, a bunch of sim racers, a bunch of esports racers who compete against one another for the right to actually take part in Race of Champions proper. And pretty much every year, you will get a surprise. Um, and I think Lucas Degrassi it was who was knocked out in Mexico last year, completely unsuspecting of this lad who just rocked up, normally an esports racer, and yeah, he could do it in the real world as well. Wow, wow! I mean, 
it's it's undeniable that um, that you know uh, the racing world uh, and and the esports world are converging. Even even from you know the fact that uh, we call you know this latest generation of uh, of Wunderkind that we have you know actually in physical cars. Uh, you know we call them the the sim generation, right? And yes. I think that um, I think that that you know the sooner that those worlds converge, or, or rather you know the fact that they they are now converging. Uh, all the better for me. I'm I'm fully on board for it. I did I, I, I did love though. Um, Emmanuel Pirro rocked up to Legends Race the other weekend and absolutely stormed it, and then took a photograph of his sim setup at home, which is basically <laughs> him sat at his desk in a yeah. camping chair um, yeah. with like I think probably like a 15 year old's wheel <laughs> um, and uh, and what like a couple of wooden blocks under the table. Uh, just you know, you can spend thousands of dollars. On a proper setup with five screens yeah, and yeah. this and that, and you got Emmanuelli there, just like bang, yes, mate, and I'm still gonna win. <laughs> Good on him. Good on him. Well, will let me ask you at this point what the first car in your five car garage would be. So I'm going for the family car first. I'm going to get it out of the way. Um, okay. And um, so I was talking to my to my other half about this, and she mm. she said, "Oh well, you've got to get the car for me." And the guys, I'm like, "No, this is my this is my five <laughs> And she wants a Range Rover, and that's okay. too big, so that's that's out. Um, I was think I don't know I I was thinking something along the lines of an Alfa Romeo Giulia Quattrofoglio because uh-huh. I'm a huge fan, a huge huge fan of that car. Yeah. And Klaus Boost, the designer, and I have got to know each other over the last few years. And I I feel like I want to own one of his cars because they're beautiful. Um, uh, but at the same time, it's a bit kind of, it's not really, you're not going to fit the kid's bike in the back of it. Right. So, so um, and, you know, and all your suitcases go on holiday. So I currently drive a Mercedes GLC and I love it. And it's a really great car. I'm not overly... Um, impressed with Mercedes post sales um, over the last. I've had a Mercedes for quite a while now, and their after sales care is not as good as it used to be. I think because they have become such a popular, right, um, sort of everyman car now that that personal service you used to get from them has been lost a little bit along the way. Anyway, they have. Well, I think it was last year or the year before launched a car that I could see having in my garage for some time which is the mercedes glc f cell which is the hydrogen ah okay interesting now i'm not a believer that electric cars are going to save the world um because i don't believe uh that lithium batteries are the way i don't Mm. i I don't believe solid state batteries are are going to be the future um i don't believe that anything based on um electricity until we get to a point where um 100% of electricity is uh provided by solar or wind yeah. or the sea Couldn't agree more. um it's you're still essentially having to uh, use means that are bad for the world to do this thing that's supposedly going to save the world so i don't i don't, I don't get it and and i think it's a real uh, shame that formula e as a racing championship didn't mm. set itself up as for example a formula future um mm. and could um really showcase developing technologies competing mm. against mm-hmm. each other mm-hmm. rather than purely focusing on electrical yes uh, electric electric cars and i you know um so i love the notion of hydrogen powered cars i 
find it very interesting that the likes of Honda and Toyota are very far along with developing these. And those are two companies not involved in Formula E. You know, you always ask, yeah. what are the Japanese doing? And that's probably where we'll be in the future. So why are they investing so heavily in hydrogen? Why are they looking at that? And um, yeah, I love I, I love it. So if you can take the car that I currently drive, uh, which is a GLC, which I love, great family car, and it, it goes like stink. And it's, you know, it's a Mercedes, so it's bulletproof. Um, looks great as well. Um, take that with a hydrogen fuel cell in it. And that's kind of future-proofing my family car. Fantastic. I think that's a... A rock solid first option. I, th I think. Uh, I think it's. Uh, I think it's good to get the get the practical one out of the way, so that then you, uh, you don't look like a hothead when the next four are all two seaters and. Uh, yeah, and exactly. Exactly. It's an interesting point you, you've 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 landed on there with with Formula E and and you know and how um how they're sort of set up and 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 uh, just as you were talking there, I was. And, and you sort of mentioned that, you know, what if they or, or, or a, you know, a, diff a similar um, uh, racing division had, had sort of taken that extra leap and, and gone to, uh, you know, Formula Future, for as you call it, for example. I think that's a lovely idea. And I wonder if, if, if that had have been the case, I wonder if we'd have seen, you know, much like in the 60s and 70s in Formula One, where we saw, you know, radical development year on year, even race on race sometimes, you know, with, 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 you know some of the figureheads that yeah. we have today back in their early careers i wonder if we'd have seen you know i wonder if that sort of because there's that incredible plucky um you know technological uh, mindset with 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 racing right always to you know make tiny incremental changes that will that will give you you know can well, end up yielding vast it's, uh, it's war in peacetime isn't it? right you, know, you you always see the great technological advance yeah. in the world through the great wars because you know they're the, those periods of, of, of great ingenuity under hardship and mm -hmm. and the same is true in racing if you want to see great development in automotive technology it occurs on the racetrack and that there was always that notion of you win on sunday and you sell on monday because yes. you were showing great ingenuity you were showing that you were better than your rivals that you could come up with you know this 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 incredible uh, creation that nobody else could now if you heavily subscribe from a regulatory perspective what a championship can be then the scope to innovate within those regulations don't exist and my 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 not disappointment but i i, I think the letdown for formula e has been that it's been so heavily subscribed um, um, prescribed since the start that you don't have that scope for innovation you know what if you had just had as open a raft of, of regulations as possible and said have at it which will be the best technology to take us into the future? Will it be hydrogen? Will it be electric? And very soon you'd find that people would start to converge on one particular type of um, powertrain because they would see the benefits in it. But by restricting it solely to electric and by obviously limiting what you can do within the regulations to, to that degree, are we seeing the technological advances that we could have done in that type of championship were the regulations freer um, and more open to enable an actual contest of, well, which is, which is the, the, the sort of, you know, the, the, the method that will best serve us into the future. Well, exactly that. And, you know, and 
for so many of uh, of the manufacturers that are present in or have been present in Formula One, they've you know they've, they've almost treated the the budget like an R and D budget, right? And you think about bingo. Mercedes and, bingo, bingo. and how much they've uh, how much they've pioneered you know their own hybrid system throughout this time, and how that's uh, you know to your point that you just made, how much that's um, resulted in them you know uh, shifting units on off the forecourts. And, well, I think they did um, they did an all electric trick now i'm gonna to have to try and get it right um it was was it an sls that they did i think it was an electric yes yeah an yeah. electric sls and that was um so they, they put it out to, to the entire company um give us your ideas for how we would make an electric sls and the winning department was um the department that had created the formula one curse system back in the day so they'd yeah. taken all of the accrued knowledge from taking yeah. uh the, the curse system in formula one yeah and created an all-electric sls from it um you know it's it's that wow innovation under yeah. under 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 competition it's it's you know it's it's war in peacetime god that's fantastic and so and so taking that taking that point uh a little further um do you think that this this past uh, how long have we had hybrid uh, technology in in Formula One for six or seven seasons now or, so, or something oh, about, like yeah that? something like that yeah right and would you more than do half you, a decade yeah yeah and long well, even longer if you include Kurz oh yeah, true in, in that very um, good point very good point well okay well let's say that so let's say hybrid powertrains and Kurz that era which is probably getting on for a decade now would you describe that as a golden era for formula one do you think that we've we've sort of been through a, a you know a golden period for our sport or not i i don't really like referring to any era as golden i think ah. it's always i think it's always more golden when you look back on it because mm -hmm. you you look back on it without the um without many of the negative aspects that you you like to sort of deal with right. at, at the time um I don't know. I, th I think every era is great when you're going through it. Just appreciate it for what it is. Um, I think the cars at the moment are are too heavy. Um, mm. They're too big. Um, a lot of that has to do with the power unit, obviously. Uh, yeah. Big fuel tank as well, because there's no refueling in, in the sport. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I grew up at a time when the cars were skittish and small and mm. they looked terrifying and you know the cars now are are big and bulky and they've you know they've had to slap a whole load of downforce on them to get the speeds back and to get yes, it exciting yeah. again but they're 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 not the terrifying things that they that they used to be and i think a lot of that will change with the new regulations that are, are due to come in i think now 2022 yes um given obviously what's what's going on in the world at the moment we've had to have had have a delay on on those but um mm. You know, that's not to say that the drivers are any less talented. It's not to say that they don't deserve their race wins or world championships. Um, it's, you know, we've gone through times of greater competitiveness, but you can also appreciate what we're seeing from someone like Lewis Hamilton and, and from Mercedes in the level that they achieve and they attain every single season is, uh, it's unseen in, in the history of the sport. We've never seen this kind of domination, not even with Michael and, and Ferrari back in the two mm. thousands. It's, mm. um, it's something truly incredible, but not, you know, no empire lasts forever and their day will come. Um, and you know, it could be this season. If we get a season, it could be 21, it could be 22. Um, 
but it won't last forever. Uh, but 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 sort of calling this era a golden era or any era a golden era is is I I don't like to do it because I think every era has its has its upsides and its downsides and just enjoy it as you're going through it. It's a really good point. I think it's been really fun for me. I've been dipping into the F1 archives, um, you know, via the the F1 TV app uh, recently, and and it's amazing how how quickly we or, or certainly I forget. And I remember, like, I, I clicked on a race from I don't know 20, 2014, 2015 maybe um, uh, last week, and and I was shocked at the the high wing and you know how skinny comparatively skinny the tires were back then and yeah the the difference in cornering speed and and it was quite it was quite interesting um you know to your point that uh that that i sort of my brain had completely expunged you know memories of those uh those races and those cars and and um it was it was really nice to revisit it but i mean for my money i think that um i think this has been a great period in f1's uh you know story i i don't agree with the people who who argue that um that uh you know a, a clear front runner is is necessarily boring because all i think that you do in those times is you know yes you know maybe lewis and and you know, the mercedes team are gonna hoover up the majority of the wins and um and whatever but you just turn your attentions to you know to further down the field which i think is um is you know often more fun and, and more compelling and you know i'm a i mean i'm I'm, I'm a lover of the sport from from you know uh, soup to nuts, and I really will um, you know uh, uh, dive in and, and get behind anyone. But I've always been a, a Williams fan, and yeah. uh, and you know to sort of to be able to um, to follow them, you know, for better or for worse, over these last few seasons has been um, has been you know an experience. And I think that uh, you know if if I had one um, if I had one sort of uh, thing that was driving me towards the the rules, um, you know, the regulation changes for for twenty one or twenty two, it, it would be the uh, you know the budget cuts and, uh, and caps. Yes. And I, I just, yes. I'm so excited to see what that brings for 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 some of the you know the teams that have found themselves lower down the table. I think that uh, I think that that could be um, you know hopefully will be a real sort of uh, uh, you know catalyst for for some some change. And, oh, uh, totally. Really and it's and you know it's 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 funny because. You know the teams have always had, or well, certainly for a long time now, have had a say in the way the regulations are made and what are passed and what aren't. And um, yeah, turkeys don't vote for Christmas, and so <laughs> you know you you will never get the big teams voting for parity. You will never get them voting mm. to give away the advantage that they have taken and that they have uh, achieved, you know, through obviously the budgets that they have, but through the success yeah. that they've had and the, the money that they've won through that success. And it's all accumulated over time. Um, uh, so, you know, I think the, 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 the position the sport now finds itself in, you know, under uh, the isolated world that we we now exist in, and uh, with COVID nineteen, and, and looking at twenty twenty as being a very hard year for a number of teams yeah. across motorsport across the world, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a very high chance we lose a number of teams. Um, how do we ensure that when we come back, the field allows people to compete? That we mm. that we actually exist on a on a place of sport and entertainment and you know if we come out of this and people are more mindful and more thoughtful and less selfish and they have every right to be selfish it's competition you know you don't enter formula one to let the other guys win you enter to win but Mm -hmm. um 
perhaps if it allows a wider view and mutually beneficial decisions to be taken, then, you know, so much the better. It's a great sentiment. And I, I truly hope that that, uh, that, that is, uh, is looked upon favorably by, yeah, some of the big boys and, and the corporation, because um, it could only stand to benefit the sport, which is what we're all there for, you know? Yeah. Um, so tell me about your second car and your five car garage. Right. So I've gone from the family car to my sports performance car. Okay. Um, and uh, two cars that I've had the pleasure of driving through doing what I do, uh, the McLaren 720S or the Ferrari F12 Berlinetta. And I was Ooh. trying to choose between the two. Um, and the F12 tears your face off. Like it, <laughs> It's not a soft delicate stroke of the face caress Uh from a lover it is a it is a punch in the face (laughs) and someone trying to literally tear the skin off your skull um and it's great fun but it will kick your ass all day long yeah whereas the mclaren just feels like a race car it's it's poised and it's purposeful and i think it's i think the 720s is the best thing mclaren uh, have ever made well it's the best thing that i've driven that they've that they've made and i don't want anything more than than that and i know that there is obviously you know another couple yeah. of steps on the ladder for mclaren but the 720s for me for my talent levels for what i'll be doing with it on a normal road which obviously is staying within the speed limit um <laughs> is you know that's that's more than enough for me and uh it's just it's just a wonderful car um and and i love what mclaren do i i'm a big big fan of their cars some of them leave you after too long in the seat um without the ability to actually feel your ass anymore it could be a little bit more comfortable (laughs) but you know the 720s is is a supreme car and it is a it's a race car for the road and i i bloody love it they're a beautiful thing, and I, uh, we did a. I did a film um, when I was working on the Grand Tour a few years ago, where we it was a comparison film between the um, Jag XJ220 and mm. the Bugatti EB110, and how they were, you know, respectively the, the fastest cars in the world when they were released, 217 and then 218 miles an hour. Um, and right at the end, we we brought the, the 720 in uh, just to show that you know in 30 years um, we may not you know, we may not sort of attain those speeds. I think at the time we recorded it, there were only three cars in production, in current production, that could go faster than that Bugatti and it's 218 miles an hour top speed, which was fascinating in, in as much as, you know, it's been 30 years since this car has been, you know, mm. uh, sold. Why are we not sort of doing those speeds? But I think the point is that, the point we were making with the McLaren was that, um, you know, the top speed has sort of become secondary to to how it handles the speed and and i've never driven a car that was more malleable and, and more sort of um amenable to the to the way that you want to drive it than than that 720 and yeah totally and and you you drive it and and you feel like you're driving it it doesn't feel like it's driving you and that is the problem with a lot of you know very powerful sports cars is mm. and it's why you see so many of them wrapped around trees by footballers is because they are Larry and they will tear your face off and it's all well and good it's all well and good having all the horses under the bonnet and you know having this beautiful looking thing that that you know goes like stink 
But if it's going to bite you in the ass every time you floor it, that's not fun. Um, the McLaren is a proper racing car. It reacts like a racing car. It is. It's just that it's it's a thoroughbred, but it's a thoroughbred that that will treat you well. And I just I I, I adore it. Wonderful, a great addition, I think. Um, and so, moving back to your career in Formula One, I know that um, uh, you know there are going to be a fair few nerds, much like me, who subscribed to you know Formula One magazine back in the day and and uh, and all that kind of stuff. But for many, I would guess it's been the Netflix series Drive to Survive that has um, you know uh, both endeared them to the sport and also maybe introduced them to you for the first time. And so for them, I would love if you could tell us how you got started in your career and how, you know, what maybe the, uh, the, uh, the great moments were for you, uh, you know, in getting to where you are today. Wow. Okay. Um, right. How long have you got? Um, this is going <laughs> to age me now terribly. So, so I, um, I'd always loved Formula One. Um, mm. And when I was 13, uh, it was 1994, and my great hero was Ayrton Senna. And when he was killed, I, I was just, you know, mortified by, yeah. by, by the whole thing. And my dad bought me my first copy of Autosport and Motoring News ah. new, uh, magazines that week. And no one at school got it because um, they all loved football and footballers didn't drop down dead and, you know, on the pitch every week. And so yeah. um, they didn't really understand why I was so upset. But the, then I read the writing of, of journalists like David Tremaine and Nigel Roebuck. And I, and, oh. I, and I felt like these guys were speaking to me. And I said, that's what I want to do. That's, that's who I want to be. I want to be that person that makes the 13-year-old nerd feel better about this thing wow. he loves. And that's when I knew what I wanted to do was, was write about Formula One. And um, I had no desire to, to, to do TV or talk about it because, mm -hmm. you know, I grew up in the UK and Murray Walker was our, you know, he was, yeah. our, he was our, our, our big commentator and you mm -hmm. didn't want to be Murray because Murray was Murray and Murray was Murray. no, no one yeah. was going to take his place. So I wanted to write about it. And uh, I went to university, I studied politics. I wrote my thesis on the politics of Formula One, which my lecturers hated and tried to fail <laughs> me on. And uh, I read, I found it a couple of years ago. So I read it back. It's no wonder they How is it? failed me. It's crap. Uh, no. <laughs> it's so bad. It's what, so um, bad. What, are you, what, what year would that have been? What politics would we have been talking about in that thesis? Um, so well, what I tried to do was I, I, I tried to go on the, the very sort of base premise that there's politics in every human interaction, right. yeah, which obviously they're, they're going to hate. Um, and uh, essentially, <laughs> I, I argued it on two elements. I argued that uh, we could learn something about notions of democratic process through looking at how Formula One as a sport operated because it existed as a nation state without territorial boundaries. So it right, had right. citizens that were a party to a constitution. There were elections for um, its leaders, um, uh, but ironically, the people over whom the leaders um, uh, sort of ruled weren't mm. elected by the people over whom they ruled. And it was, oh, yeah, it was all very, very, very complicated. And as yeah. I said, you know, there, isn't, there isn't a nation state in the world that exists on this perverse form of democracy. Right. Um, right. You know, and uh I thought I argued it pretty well, but I read it back. It was oh, it was shocking. Anyway, well, I mean, um, just the idea of Bernie as a as a country leader. I mean, that's that's a pretty terrifying. Well, I argued that Max was Max was the country leader, and right. Bernie was kind of like the 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 head of the 
um, of the trade unions almost. Anyways, but um, I sent a copy to David Tremaine. Uh, and he loved it. And wow. so he gave me uh, a shot straight out of university uh, doing a couple of weeks work experience at Formula One magazine in 2002. And I went for two weeks and I never left until it closed down in 2004. And uh, then I went freelance when the magazine was closed down for a, a year. And at the end of that year was offered the role as press officer for GP2. So I moved over to do that and I PR'd Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton through their their GP2, now known as Formula 2, of course, uh, championship yes. years. Um, and was then in 08 offered a chance to come back to journalism uh, by being editor of a, a new virtual magazine, which was really in the early days of the sort of yeah. online mags. Yeah. Um, uh, and I left to become editor of GP Week. And later that year, got a call from Bernie's lot, an yeah. FOM, who suddenly realized they needed a commentator for GP2. Uh, and would I want to do it, given that I knew more about GP2 than anybody, having been uh, the press officer of the championship since its, uh, its beginning, inception. and yeah. that I loved to talk. And um, so I started doing that. Little did I know that Speed Channel in America was listening and offered me a job as their pit lane reporter on Formula One. And I have been running around with a microphone ever God. since, doing commentary. Uh, I moved to NBC Sports, had five yes. amazing years at NBC Sports. And then a couple of years ago, Formula One gave me a call when Liberty took over and said, hey, uh, would you like to come and work for us? And uh, NBC were uh, losing the rights anyway to go to ESPN. And so I moved to Formula One uh, to work for the man. Uh, so that's, that's where I am. That's, that's, that's brilliant. And, and potted 20-year history. That's incredible. And I think, I think, um, you know, I mean, what was it like when you, so when you got that call from Speed Channel in, yeah. when, what year would that have been? Oh, goodness. That was at the end of 2009. There you go. So, so you, uh, what age are you at that sort of 28? 28. What was that like to get, you know, to be handed the keys to the kingdom? You know, you're, you're, you finally got that massive lanyard that, that allows you to go and, you know, get access to all areas and whatnot. What was Terrifying, that like? because I, I, I <laughs> so I've never had, the, the mad thing is I've, I've never had any training for any of the jobs I've done. I've, I've learned on the job. Right. And uh, with Speed Channel, it was kind of crazy because I didn't have a producer on site with me. I used, no one, of the, I used uh, one of the FON cameramen. Right. And then I would have a couple of calls a weekend with the guys in the States, producers. We have a production meeting over the phone. And then it was basically like, yeah, just go and go and film some stuff and go and make some features. And Bloody hell. and I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a clue. I had to go and learn how to do a grid walk and learn how to interview people. And um, And interviewing for TV is so different to interviewing for print. Um, because it's way more about emotion. And I actually didn't, until I got to NBC, they gave me the, the greatest lessons in how to how to do interviews for, for TV, you know, and how to really sort of listen and draw emotion um, and how, you know, what's important. And the most important thing on TV, the most important thing about broadcasting is it's, it's not about you. It's about them. And it's about drawing information out of them. Um, you might know exactly what's going on, mm. but you can't say to the driver, oh, it was this, wasn't it? Because if they say, yeah, 
then you look like a smart ass. And if they go, no, then you look like an idiot. So <laughs> it's far better to just say what happened than to tell somebody who went through it what happened and get them to say yes or no. But that's the weird thing. As a, as a print journalist, very often you're looking for confirmation or denial of what you believe the story to be. But in, in broadcasting, it's about telling stories and you shouldn't be the one that tells that story. It should be the people living it. That's it's their it's their story to tell. And so what were those early grid walks like? Did you fall foul of that before you uh, before you sort of cottoned onto it? Well, so the grid walks were, were an interesting one because we never had much pre-race time, usually only about 30 minutes pre-race. So the grid walk wasn't a full blown 10 minute grid walk. Right. It was very often to be the guys in the studio in the States. And then they'd throw down to me on the grid and I'd be already standing by waiting with somebody on the grid. We'd do a quick interview. I'd throw back to the studio and we'd run it like that. Um, and we did that all the way actually through to NBC until, and I was always pushing to do a proper grid walk, do a proper, yeah. do a proper grid walk. And um, in the end, they gave me enough rope to hang myself. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and we did it. And yeah. I think we got like three minutes and it didn't go terribly. Okay. So the next week we got like three and a half minutes and uh -huh. it didn't go terribly. And then bum, 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 bum. and we kept building it up until we got into a regular routine of having five or six minutes. And again, because we only had three, um, a 30 minute pre-race show, the majority of stuff that the guys back in the studio in, uh, in Stanford, Connecticut would mm. be talking about would be Mercedes and Ferrari and Red Bull. Right. And no right. one else really got a look in. So what my grid walk became was any other business. Right. And I would start on the back row of the grid and I would do a complete rundown of why everybody was where they were, what weekend they'd had, and what a good result for them would be today, interspersed with, oh, there's Kevin Magnuson. Let's see if we can grab a word with him. Bomb. Right. Jump in. And that's how it kind of worked. Um, so we were never really, you know, you knew you were never going to get the guys at the sharp end. Um, Lewis is never going to talk to you. Seb's never going to talk to you. Kimmy's never going to talk to you. Uh, there's no point even trying. So start at the back where it's not rammed. It's much more open. You can mm. find people to talk to far easier and they'll be more willing to talk to you. And then as you get to the front, you're ramping up with adrenaline and energy anyway. If there's a Toto Wolf or a Christian Horner, great, grab them, bring him them into it. You know, Daniel Ricciardo will probably have a few words with you or or Max, <laughs> whoever. But yeah, but you know, you're not going to get you're not going to get Lewis. You're not going to get Seb. So don't even try. Talk to the guys that you can get, and that's how we developed the grid walks. And it was just you know a really long run. And I'm so gutted. Uh, one of the reasons I'm really gutted about this season not getting started was um, we'd finally managed to get a F1 pre-race show for um, uh, F1 TV. Oh, brilliant. So we were going to do oh. that. That was going to start this year. And I was going to be back doing grid walks again. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so that, we, oh. that will be coming to F1 okay, TV good. subscribers in the future. The grid walk is back. Uh, and we'll be doing that again. So yeah, I can't can't wait to get back to that because you know doing live TV is is such a buzz. It's 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 a buzz because you never get it right, and that's the brilliant <laughs> thing about commentary or any live television is something will always go wrong. You'll screw something up. It'll never be perfect. And if you ever have a broadcast that is completely perfect, that's the day you quit because you'll never repeat it. Um, and that's the drug. 
that's what keeps you coming back. And that grid walk is five of the most intense minutes you'll ever have in broadcasting because it is it's a one shot thing and you have to not fall over your feet remember who everybody is remember everything that's happened not walk into someone's car and break their front wing um you know you've got to look at a driver and realize if they're in a mood or not to talk to you just by the look in their eye um try and get a couple of celebrities try and get a couple of team bosses and fit it all into that five six minute clump with somebody constantly counting down in your ear how much time you've got left and not I mean, lose sight of where you're at it's just such a buzz i mean i'm stressed just thinking about it it's, it's great, great. <laughs> it's great. But, oh and also not get in the way of all the other broadcasters that are trying to do exactly yes. the same thing absolutely i've uh, i think we've all watched uh, people fall foul of uh, of martin brundle you know and get between him and his cameraman and no no none of oh that. there was there was a good one i didn't realize in one of my in one of my uh grid walks i was doing i was interviewing i can't remember which driver i think it was pedro de la rosa and out of the corner of my eye, I could see Martin sort of bounding across with microphone yes. to, to jump in on the interview. Uh -huh. And I, I realized something must have happened because my pocket started buzzing. And I, oh. when I got off the grid, I realized it was all my friends at home who'd been watching on Sky. Yeah. And I didn't realize at the time, but apparently I had flashed Martin the evils as he's walking over. <laughs> and I'd mouthed f off <laughs> and um and martin has sort of changed tack halfway through and go oh, i think we go somewhere else and um, <laughs> so and i hadn't i i I, I didn't even realize i'd done it um oh, it's, it's great it's but you 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 all work i mean and everyone's mates you know and you, yeah yeah you're not going for the same audience that's the other really interesting thing you know so you don't want to step on each other's toes because you can help each other out so if you're in the pit lane you know during a practice session and you see something or somebody tells you something you know i'd go and share it with ted or you know with ted kravitz uh, go right. and share it with with jack uh, from from uh, dutch tv or you know yeah. with mara from italian tv or um you and you you share you know and, and then you'd get you get you get spanish press coming and telling you oh you know this has happened with fernando and such and such right. and so. you help each other out because you know you know you you you're, you're all there as big moms or big family it's 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 yeah. a really nice place to work well it sounds it and uh if, if i wasn't jealous of your occupation before i sure as hell am now so thanks for that <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about your third car we're on to your third of your five cars so we've done the family car we've done the yeah. high performance car it's yeah. time for the dream car here we go uh, the car i had on my wall as a kid uh-huh um it's the Ferrari Dino 246 GT. Um, Beautiful. Which, but everyone will say, it's not a real Ferrari. No, um, no, no. You know, V6, mid-engine. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been long enough now, though. I think uh, I think anyone who says that in, in today's climate is 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 off their head. Yeah. Personally. And, you know, it's, like, it's what? It's like 192 horsepower. Yeah. Um, you know, I was talking about the, the Alfa Romeo Julia earlier. And that's got like yes. 500. 504, you know? like, yeah. <laughs> but so I have... um. I have a I have a beautiful uh, from Pininfarina. I have a um, uh, a cedar a sort of, a mini wind tunnel model of the oh, uh, of wow. the two hundred six GT Coupe uh -huh. Special from sixty seven, and it's my pride and joy. I love oh, it. It's yeah. just this this it's it's just the lines of this car. You know, it kind of I don't want to be weird or gross. But it kind of looks like sort of you know like a silhouette of a 
of a lady lying on her side on the bed. Well, that's you exactly know? what cars were. That's exactly what cars yeah. were back then, right? Well, it's it was... just, it's, it's the thing with that car, the thing that made me fall, and I've never really fallen in love with a car before, just on how it looked, but it looked organic. You know, it didn't look like it mm. had been created out of metal sheets and rivets. It looked like it had grown out of the ground. It looked organic and beautiful and natural yes. and 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 it just took my breath away and um i've never driven one i i sat in one in the classic uh, department at marinello a oh. few years ago they were restoring it and i sat in it and i burst into tears oh my um, goodness i would i the i do an awful lot for for uh for a, for a, for a and God, God, I remember going to an auto sports show with my dad moons ago, like back in the, the 90s. Yeah. And there was one at an auction. Oh my God. Uh, 20 grand. Stop it. 20 really? grand. Oh, 20 grand. And it, was, it was light and it was light blue and 20 grand. Oh. It, was, it wasn't the color you wanted. It was no. rusted all over. And and twenty grand, know, but twenty grand in the late nineties—that was a lot of money. Um, so, oh, I mean, his wife wasn't very happy when he brought that back, but I'm sure she's happy now. Uh, <laughs> but can you imagine? Could you imagine picking that up? Uh, um, wow. And um, yeah, but just it's just it's it's the dream car, and I don't care <laughs> that it's got a sideways badge. You know, no, there's nothing, nothing, Enzo nothing wrong named with it after his most loved right. son. And right. There's That's no there's to no know. finer. Uh, compliment to a car than naming it after your child um right. so i don't i don't care that people don't think it's a proper ferrari it's my dream car and i'm having it in my garage good on you what color would you have it in oh there's only one Come, well, i'm not i wouldn't go yellow no 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 no, 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 no. that's what i was wondering I'm, no, I'm, no 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 um i'd have ross ross of course of course good man good man. just checking you know just checking of course <laughs> awesome so speaking of beautiful red things i want to get on to this fantastic book which you've written and that's a genuine oh uh, that's a, genuine a good pop- link well done. thank you press <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> well this is this is a book um i'd like and i'd like you to tell us about it rather than me telling people about it but um but it's a book that i was um actually sent by a mutual friend of ours about a year ago did it come out just over a year ago is that it right did. it did yeah there yes. you go and um and I was uh, I was posted a copy. I live over here in in America, and um, and I got a copy through the post uh, from a very good friend of ours, uh, Bex, and she yeah. had uh, had yes sent sent me over a nice early copy. And I did I genuinely, and I mean this, uh, uh, you know, not to to blow smoke up you, but um, I, I read the book in in like two days. It was just the most two sittings. Uh, it was the most oh, brilliant, genuinely one of the most captivating books uh, I've ever read, and not just from you know. I can sit there and, and sort of, you know, work my way through a v- pretty hefty, um, you know, uh, book as long as it's about cars, you know, I'll sort of get there <laughs> in the end. But this hit me on a really, um, you know, personal and human level. And um, I, oh, I loved it. So I'd love I'd love it if you could tell people about it and what it was like to, you know, to interview these great people and, and to, to compile the book, where the idea came from. I'd, I'd love it if you could tell us about that. So the book is called My Greatest Defeat. Um, and for years, I've been trying to come up with something to write about. You know, writing mm. a book is is always one of those one of those bucket list things that you want to do. You know, given that I started out as a writer, and writing is my first love, I, I mm-hmm. wanted to sit down and write a book. And I actually, the idea for it actually came from from two places. Um, 
uh, I had, well, my father was in his final months. I actually interviewed him every time I went to see him in wow. uh, at his house or in hospital. And, um, and I ended up writing his autobiography. Um, yeah. I didn't realize it at the time. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I really learned how to write in his voice. Um, and I realized how fascinating his sort of life story uh, had been. Just a normal guy, you know. Um, and I, I thought there's got to be a way that I can turn interviewing people and, and making their voice speak to people like I had done with with with, with his book. And um, it was on a flight off, off on holiday that I was watching the 24-hour war, which was the story of Ford and Ferrari. Fantastic. At Le Mans. Yeah, yeah, way before the Christian Bale Bell. movie and all that. Yeah. And I, re- and I suddenly, it suddenly clicked that the best stories in our sport aren't necessarily about victory. It's about, it's about defeat and it's about picking yourself up and coming back stronger. Um, and, you know, sport is a wonderful place for learning these tales of hardship and how they make people stronger and how they, they give them hope. And so that's what it became was this 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 idea of talking to racing drivers about the the lowest moment they'd ever been through. Um, so yeah, it's twenty racing drivers from across uh, across motorsport. So uh, Le Mans, Rally, IndyCar, NASCAR, and Formula One. And it's the moment they hit rock bottom. So there's stories of um, depression and uh, dependency, death, divorce. You know all the fun stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, but it's, but it's, but it's essentially. I mean, it sounds awfully depressing, but it's, it's yeah, how they came through it. That's right. It's, it's what they learnt and what kept them going and how it made them stronger and how it ultimately seemed like a terrible thing at the time, mm-hmm. but set them on a path that led them to the the best successes um, that they ever had. And there's. You know, some amazing, some amazing guys opened up for it. You know, um, Alan Prost and uh, Alex Zanardi, Dario Franchitti, Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson. Um, it was the last, I believe, or well, certainly one of the last long-form interviews that Nicky Lauda did uh, before he died. So I was very, um, very grateful and, and honoured to have him in the book. Yeah, I mean, and that I think that was um, certainly one of the uh, interviews that resonated with with me the most. Um, it was, you know, it was, it was pretty incredible to you know it must have been incredible to ask because I presume um, or I'd like to presume that uh, that when you sort of went into these interviews with you know these people some of which I'm sure you knew and some some of whom you didn't yeah uh, I, I bet I'm, I'm sure that um, you know when you asked them this question you, you didn't know what the answer was going to be no no so then that's the thing you can't prepare for these interviews mm. um, particularly because some of them were very personal Jeff Gordon for example it was all about his family yes so there's no way that you can prepare for it. And, you know, I talked earlier about how NBC had really taught me a different way of interviewing and to, and really to not go into interviews with notes and long lists of questions to ask, but to go in with a concept of what I wanted to talk about and then just listen. And they just became chats. They just became conversations. And, um, and we just let the conversation go wherever it was going to go. So I, I couldn't prepare for 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 the the interviews at all. I just had to go in and and ask. And the first question to all of them was, "What was your lowest moment?" And boom! And then they they'd open. It was they were amazingly open. 
Um, and and then we we came out two years later with a book. Fantastic, and the um, the illustrations in the book are fantastic as well. Remind me who are those are by? Thank you. Yeah, it's Giuseppe Camincoli, who is um, a phenomenal artist uh, from the Marvel. Uh, stable. He uh, is the lead uh, artist on Darth Vader and the uh, amazing wow. Spider-Man. Uh, I have no idea. So, uh, yeah, so he he uh, he's a massive car nut. Um, lives in Italy, just down the road from Maranello. Oh, cool! And uh, a, a contact of mine, friend that I made through online, actually through through Twitter. Yeah, uh, he's um, uh, one of the PR guys over at Warner Brothers. And I said, can you find me an illustrator? And he goes, yeah, yeah I'll see what I can do. So he literally walked into Marvel <laughs> Studios and goes, Is anyone here like like motor racing? Yeah. The guy puts his hand up and he goes, I need to put you in touch with Will. And he's just like, Will who? He's like, well, Will Buxton. And he goes, oh, the dude from NBC. And he's just like, yeah, it's oh, like, yeah. cool. Okay, I'll put you in, in touch. <laughs> that, was, that was mad. And um, then bless him. And, and Camo totally got the idea and came on board. And um, yeah, it was... Uh, was was great. It was it was amazing to to put it together, and I'm so glad that you know, I've had some lovely feedback from it. Um, the best bits being from people who've said that they found themselves struggling with their lives, and we're at a time when you know it's never been more possible for people to talk about struggles they're having in life, and uh, you know we all go through it, but we're told to have a stiff upper lip and you know big boys don't cry and all of that crap. Um, but I hoped that if I could show that these great racing heroes had struggled and had really found life hard, then it would help the rest of us, if we're struggling, to accept that it's normal and it's not strange and we can talk about it and we can be open about it. And when people write and say, you know, I, I, I'd had a really difficult couple of months and I, I read whoever's story it might be in the book, and it really helped me gain some perspective, it's amazing because that's why i that's why i wrote it do you feel like um do you feel like in asking you know sitting down with these incredible people uh some of which you know are really are heroes to to you know to a lot of people like myself and and, and like you do you feel like sitting down with them and asking them about to to sort of directly confront the times where they were you know the least heroic they've been in their life uh, you know to themselves do you think that helped them in any way it's it's a strange thing you know um if they saw themselves as being unheroic in those times i think the rest of us would see that you know it's, it's there's actually sort of heroicism in in that in that mm. um i think it's one of the lines i wrote in the book i know it is it was it's um you know in fragility there's freedom and 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 yes. i think that's very very true for all of us um you know, I had a the interview with with Dario knocked me for six because we were, you know, we we were sitting in this cafe in the middle of London and he was in in floods of tears, talking about, um, you know, losing losing Greg Moore. Yeah. And, um, uh, and we left the place and had a massive hug outside, and he was just like, oh, I didn't know how much I needed that. Wow. Um, and that was and that was lovely. It was really. It was really, really lovely. Um, and, and you know, I'm not a bloody, you know, psychologist or no. anything like that. But sometimes chatting to chatting to people and, and talking about stuff, it helps because it just gets it out there. And um, it's, it's interesting, actually. A lot of current drivers didn't want to be a part of it because they didn't want to open up that right that fragile side of themselves. Because we, we all know, you know, their rivals will take that and use it as a 
yeah, as a weapon tools, against them. yeah but but and 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 that's why this sport can be very damaging for people because you do bottle it up and you, they you know so many of them kept it all hidden and never confronted their emotions and just just you know, drove through it it's like mm. you know if you're out on track you you screw up one corner well you can't think about that corner because if you're still thinking about it by the time you get to the next corner well you're going to screw up your breaking point and miss the apex of mm -hmm, that one mm -hmm. and that's not a healthy way to go through life yeah okay on track fine but when you pull the helmet off, you've got to be a, you've got to be a person, and um, and I think a lot of them realise that you know only sort of after their retirement could they go through a lot of the a heartache and and real difficulties um, that they've gone through. You know, Damon is a prime example of somebody mm. who massively struggled with um, a very real debilitating um, depression when he left the sport because his entire life had been dedicated to this one thing wow. and all of a sudden it wasn't there anymore and he he and you know he he covers it far better in, in his book yes uh, watching the wheels which is a fantastic autobiography but he was very open when he spoke to me for mine as well and um uh, you know damon's a wonderful guy to talk to uh, at any point um he's just very introspective and thoughtful and mindful and yeah great guy Wow, fantastic! Well, honest, genuinely, it's a it's a, a awesome, awesome book, and um, thank you. I really, I really do hope that uh, yeah, some people, you know, people will check it out, and uh, and uh, and you know, I uh, I hope that uh, in years to come we'll see uh, we'll see some more uh, some more of the same from you because um, yeah, hope so. Yeah. yeah, brilliant. All right, so we're getting to the business end now. Tell us about car number four in your five car garage. So. I'm British, so I wanted something a bit British in there. Yeah. And um, I haven't gone for your kind of what you might expect here. I, I want something that is a little bit not crap, but <laughs> not. <laughs> so everyone thinks that Morgans are crap, but oh. I grew up in I grew up in Malvern, right? Uh -huh. And Morgans are made in Malvern, and I I. Uh, just when you saw one drive past, they were like these magical things. And I know the chef is made out of bloody wood and, you know, and all that. But I think the plus, eight, the plus eight from 1968 is, okay. is a is a beautiful, beautiful car. Um, so like max speed of like 124 miles an hour or something mm -hmm. like that. And mm -hmm. it's, but it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, I love the MGA as well. Um even though it's not a very fast car, even with the twin cam, it wasn't it wasn't great. You can you can dump in an MGB engine and make it a little bit faster. But late 1950s design, stunning car. Um, the TVR Griffith, I think, is the best car TVR ever made. Yeah, uh, it was a car that I grew up just. I wanted that in my garage when I was a kid because it was it was so so super cool. Um, you know, um, again, the missus said that she wants an Aston. I was like, what advantage? She goes, no, no, you know, the James Bond one, I want a DB5. Yeah. I was like, okay, you know, that or, you know, yeah. or maybe an E-type, right? But then e they're, they're, they're like, they're too nice. So they, because they don't, they don't qualify in my crap, but I yeah, yeah, yeah. cars because <laughs> um, they're amazing. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know how to pick between the three, um, but I think one. I'd probably go for a Morgan, the, the plus eight, just because of the personal connection that I have to Malvern and the factory that's there. And I grew up, you know, growing up on the side of the Malvern Hills um, and uh, yeah, happy, happy, happy days. That's a beautiful car. And I mean, I think any, uh, 
you know, so many of us are inexpli- almost inexplicably drawn to a certain car or a certain era or, or whatever that might be because of the place that it holds in our in our memory and you know the nostalgia that it can bring. And so for me, for example, my you know, my dad uh, loves Jags Jags and has always um, you know had a Jag that he's been working on and and you know so like the big Series Two XJ6 from the early seventies is is never a car that I would sort of own in in real life, but but I'd be hard pressed not to put it in my five car garage you know mm. for quite the same reasons as you both in terms of it being um you know a shitbox british car and and also it, you know, <laughs> it holding such you know um <laughs> such lovely uh, uh memories for me so so the morgan's a great addition and um i mean i can see it i can see a slight theme here in terms of uh, uh the cars you're going for certainly you know with this and the dino you're not you're not bothered by um sort of what other people think about the car it's it's for you it's you know or, or the, the lack of horse oh power yeah, and yeah you don't i mean you don't you don't buy a car for someone else you buy it for you good man yeah quite right quite right so i'm going to ask the question now that um that i'm sure you're probably dreading but uh oh, no yeah i know uh no i just imagine it's a question that motorsport journalists get asked all the time and um i'm just going to fall down that trap door and, and ask it myself did you have any ambitions to race yourself? Have you ever been behind a, you know, the wheel of a racing car? What, what does, what does racing hold for you in terms of your own personal ambitions? Those who can do and those who can't <laughs> talk about it. Um, so when I was, when I was younger, you know, I, I remember um, Cadbury did a, when Nigel Mansell uh, came back with Williams and then 94, yes. um, I think it was, they did a, eat enough chocolate and get a free go at a cart track and so i went and Brilliant. did that and you know by the time they did that i was already in my early teens yeah so i was never even if i was any good i was never going to be You'd in the, the right boat. place yeah and, yeah and i and you know I, I didn't come from that kind of a background that could no. ever have afforded to, to have done it anyway and i enjoyed it and i had you know um i always went and had fun with friends and did a bit of karting and Loved it and uh, never did anything seriously. And then, goodness, what are we looking at now? Six years ago. Yeah, six years ago, Ferrari invited me over to Florida for this little championship that they were running for kids straight out of go-karts called the Florida Winter Series. Did I want to go and go and race some single-seaters? And I was like, well, I don't have... A competition license. I had I'd done right. my ARDS test. Oh yeah, you know, which is like the very basic British onto you know on on to, on track. Yeah. Um, but but I didn't have an international competition license or anything like that. I couldn't. And they were like, that's ah, fine. You know, it's a private championship, so you can come and race. Great. Okay. Cool. So I went over um, age thirty-three. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, these kids were. 16 17 15 years old straight out of go-karts yeah getting into racing cars for the first time um there was a kid called nicholas latifi uh-huh. um, and one called lance stroll okay. and um uh, tatiana calderon was there and uh, ed jones who ended up in indycar he okay. was there Raffaele marcello he was there antonio fuoco and some little Dutch kid called Max Verstappen, <laughs> and uh, and me, <laughs> brilliant. And um, 
I mean, look, I can't say I raced them, but I shared a track with yeah. them. And, uh, and boy, what a, what a learning curve. Um, and I loved it. I loved, loved every bit of it. It was, uh, it was great fun. I saw the checkered flag in all three races that I contested. There you go. Um, finished ahead of Latifi in one of them. Yes. Oh, well. And um, <laughs> I know I keep I keep telling him that I I'm only going to use that until his first race. But given that he hasn't had yeah. his first race in F1 yet, I can keep using it for some months now. That's and, yours. Um, that's yours forever. You that's can, mine. Yeah, that's yeah. mine. And he was just like he was like, you only finished ahead of me because I spun out. And I was like, exactly. No. Yeah, you exactly. spun out, and I, I wasn't <laughs> I going not. fast enough to spin out. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so did that and realized very quickly that. Um, my skill level uh will never uh be up at that level and but just it just reinforced how brilliant these guys are um you know and i say i say guys meaning guys and girls obviously um but you know about how brilliant they are and uh and it's why we do what we do Uh, that's why i do what i do because they do this thing that i could only ever dream of that's it every uh, every lap is a spectacle isn't it it's it's yeah absolutely It's uh, it's incredible, and again, you know, coming back to, for example, Williams in the last you know the last couple of years, and maybe they and you know certain other teams have been the and and you know many teams across all the different motorsports have been, you know, the butt of jokes and you know bringing up the rear and whatever. But um, but to me, you know, I, I would never ever um, you know presume to to sort of have have that kind of opinion about anyone who who can get in a race car and and put a you know put a lap in that's um, even semi competitive let alone you know yeah. to be to be um, you know to be the back uh, at the back of the f1 grid is is to still be you know amongst the the finest uh, uh, you know uh, racing drivers in the world so uh, absolutely absolutely i think and it's always those for you know for for people uh, such as ourselves i think it's always those moments where you get in a cart or, or, you know, maybe you're allowed to sort of step on even a a road car. If you're allowed to step on it, it's a very humbling experience. It can can be Mm. a a really polarizing one. And, uh, and and for that reason, I have all the more respect for, for anyone who can do it and do it well. Totally. Totally. So take us to your fifth and final uh, car, please. So this, this was, this was the hardest one. Yeah. Um, You know, we've got, we've got a little bit of, British classic in there, yeah. dream car, yeah. performance car, family car. So what do you have for your final car? Um, a bit of fun, maybe, um, or a Grand Tourer, something mm, like that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So uh, you go for a 911. Yes, exactly. The 4S, maybe. Okay. Do you go for a DB11? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember driving a Ferrari FF, which I liked, but has improved into the gtc4 uh the luso oh yeah um again you know great grand tourer but then i remember one of the most enjoyable drives i've ever had was the honda s660 which is um about the size of a smart car uh-huh um soft top two seats yeah uh limited to 70 miles an hour um it's it's right hand drive um because obviously they drive on the right. left in japan so yeah. I, i've been looking at maybe importing yeah you can import one before all this stuff happened you could import one to the uk for 12 grand and i'm like you know what That's... i might actually just do it um such fun such such fun and mugen have obviously got one that's tuned to oh wow um, as well do i choose that 
do I go back in for the for the Julia Quattrofoglio? Right, the superb car. Do I bring that one back? Second chance saloon for any of the cars that you missed. And then I was thinking, you know what? If I don't put at least one car in the garage for the missus, she will hit the roof. Oh yeah. And thankfully, the one car she wanted was a DB5. So you know what? Uh, I'm going to put that one in because she's. I if I do say so myself. She's got exquisite taste. Oh, so the, so the DB5 goes in the garage. Brilliant. We're talking full, you know, bond spec in terms of silver, silver car, wire wheels. Um, yeah, absolutely. I have told her that it won't have an injector seat. Good. Um, but, um, you know, <laughs> uh, but, but everything else, yes, absolutely. Full bond spec. Fine, um, fine choice. I think would be, would be great. And uh, nothing but John Barry on the radio perfect absolutely brilliant yeah lots of lovely road trips up to scotland i mean seeing that car when they brought it back for um skyfall and seeing it uh seeing it go and you know drive up through all the locks and and yeah you know, and whatnot, I, I defy anyone to to not sort of lust after a car of that nature when they watch it's, that. it's just such a beautiful car it and is. it's you know it still is that there's that ultimate fight between you know, would you like the well, whether it's a four, five, or a six, or would you go for an E-type? And you know, I don't. There's just something about about the Aston, the Aston as a, a majesty that I don't think. Yeah, I think that's the word. It yeah, it's a majesty. It, it's yeah, it's just the way it holds itself. It's uh, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful car. And I because you see, I was I was thinking like if I could have a D-type. I put these out, but I've made a point of not putting racing cars. In. Yeah, They've I noticed got to that. Be road cars. I noticed that. So, what's the? Um, was there one that came close? Was was it? Was it a thought in your mind to stick a race car in, even if you didn't drive it? I mean, I had. Um... Oh yeah, I take a McLaren MP4 um, yeah. five or six. Yeah, you know, I I go, go proper late eighties <laughs> uh-huh. McLaren and and, and and just have it yeah, in the living problems. room. Oh God! Absolutely no, no. Have it in the garage and take it out for a you know Sunday hammer around the Cotswolds. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd need that. to have a whole team. You would, um, you know, you staying would. with me to to keep that thing fired up. No, no, no. It's got to be got to got to be an actual road car. I think. Good man. Well, I think that's an awesome way to wind out uh, wind out your uh, your five car garage. I think it's uh, I think it's a very um, it's a very considered. Uh, a collection of five cars, which is more than I can say for 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 a lot of people who just go for uh, you know for sheer horsepower or looks. Or <laughs> so good on you. I think yeah, I, look, I don't think I don't think we're going to be winning many races uh, <laughs> with these cars, um, but we we may win uh, a couple of beauty contests. So I'll go for that. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, then I've got uh, I've got two questions to finish off with. Number one is okay. Which road would your five car garage sit at the top of? Oh, what would that's tricky. Yeah, what would be your what would be your your uh, you know your commute down to the shops to to get your uh, to get your essential supplies? What would be the what would be that that stretch of road? Or it could be could be you know a two mile stretch of road that's you know you you can you have great sight lines so you can see when nothing's coming. It could be um, you might tell me that it's you know four hundred miles of uh, of uh, you know Alpine Road. What do you think? I I loved, you know, I think everybody always loves the roads around where they live. Mm. Um, but for me, the you know, the roads around where I live take me to 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 my little girl. So, you know, obviously it's always yeah. always lovely to go and, and pick her up and see her. Brilliant. So um so yeah, um and and they're the roads that bring me home. So um so those those roads. I can imagine and I can imagine doing the amount of traveling that you do it must be uh, must be uh, always a welcome relief to uh, to be driving that road home 
it's it's really lovely yeah. it really is yeah. there's uh yeah there's no place like home good man fantastic well that is that is your uh that is your driveway now and uh and finally i have to ask the really hard question which is if you could only keep one of the five which one would it be oh mm-hmm. really yeah just in case this is just you know just in case you have to pack it's, it's the dino man i Good. i i have been dreaming of that car since i was like eight years old so um yeah the dino all day every day i have it on my desk right now sitting in front of me so of course it's the dino it's a fantastic fantastic choice awesome will buxton thank you very very much for sharing with my pleasure five car garage awesome thank, thank you. you for inviting me i've loved it thank you so much thank you mate well there you have it that is will buxton's five car garage uh, i'm sure you'll agree will is an awesome guy he's just fantastic such a sweet man and lovely to talk to and, and my god so knowledgeable um puts me to shame with his f1 knowledge and uh, he's a real inspiration to me uh, i want to thank will obviously for coming on and uh, and thank all of you guys for uh, downloading and, and listening to the podcast sticking around thank you for all the feedback i really uh, appreciate it um i'm really enjoying doing this uh, podcast for you all and uh Like I said at the top of the show, I really hope it's taking some of the sting out of the fact that we're all, at the moment, with COVID still running rampant, we're all just sat around uh, twiddling our thumbs and and hoping for for it to pass. So uh, everybody stay safe and um, join me soon for another five-car garage. Thanks, guys. Bye. (laughs) 